Ad is the abandonment of personal responsibility. This past week, if you've been exposed to any kind of media, it would be hard to miss the epidemic of blame that has been unleashed following the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the shooting death of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin. It seems like everyone is to blame. The state of Florida is to blame for their stand your ground law. Society is to blame. Trayvon's parents are to blame. The media is to blame. Rich white people are to blame. The black community is to blame. The government is to blame. The president is to blame. The pro-gun people are to blame. George Zimmerman is to blame. And it also was Trevon's fault. And if you run out of people to blame, there of course is God. Even God got blamed. Anthea Butler, an associate professor of religious studies at the University of Pennsylvania said, stated, the American God is a white racist. She obviously hasn't studied Abraham Lincoln and his deep conviction that of, of uh, scripture and that it is wrong for man to own another man. But whatever happened to personal responsibility? Even Christians today seem to be taking their cues from the world and shrugging off personal responsibility. It's my parents' fault. It's because of how I was raised. It's the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the friends I hang around with. It's their fault. And of course, it's God's fault. While all of these have their influence in our lives, if there's one truth I want you to grasp this morning, I want you to understand is that you are personally responsible before a holy God for your life and the choices you make. God holds you accountable and no one else. And we're going to see that God literally shouts it from our text today that you are accountable. I want to greet each of you in Christ's name and welcome you to this time of refreshment and encouragement with the word of God. But I also want to welcome all of you to our study in Romans. Uh, we're going to be, if you have uh, your Bibles, you can turn to our text found in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 9, we became, we gained an understanding of God's election and how that God chooses and calls and how he works out his predetermined will in the lives of people. In fact, so great is God's plan that it would be tempting for Christians to shirk personal responsibility and to kind of fall for the idea it really doesn't matter what we do because God's going to do what he wants to do. 
And so God graciously gives us, brings us back into balance in Romans, with Romans chapter 10. Now here in Romans chapter 10, we're going to see why God rejected Israel. Israel was not rejected because they were not elected. We're going to see God rejected them because they rejected the gospel. By the way, that's why people are lost. Because of their continued willful rejection of Christ. A hardened heart. And you know, the lost have a lot of excuses why they reject Christ. Uh, bad church experience, uh, bad parents, hypocrites in the church. Uh, there's all kinds of excuses and not one of those excuses will save them from an eternity in hell. Now God sets forth four reasons why Israel is culpable and why they are responsible. And we're going to see that the first one is in, in verse 8 of chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. The first reason that they are responsible is they that they had the gospel and the word of God. Notice what it says in verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. They had it. They talked about it. They listened to it. They, and they rejected it. They could never say they didn't hear it. The second is in verse 11. The second reason is that the gospel was offered to all. Notice what verse 11 says. says For the scripture says, whosoever. Notice those all-inclusive terms. Those universal. Those universal terms. Whosoever. Believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. The third reason is that the gospel is not accepted. Let's come back to the second reason. The Jew was given the promise first, believe and thou shalt be saved. Uh, in 2 Peter, it talks about the, he talks about the false teachers and the, uh, the uh, false prophets denying Christ who bought, it, who bought them. You see, Jesus did not just come for the elect. He came for all. Jesus didn't just die for a few, a few chosen few. He died for the whole world. So it was offered to all. The third reason, of course, is that the gospel is not accepted by all. And Isaiah found this to be very true. Uh, he said, for they have not obeyed the gospel. For they have not, obe not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? He preached and taught about the coming Messiah and what he heard is no thanks. I'm not interested. 
You know, anyone that has done any kind of personal evangelism uh, knows something about rejection. Some do it very respectfully. Some do it mockingly. And others will do it angrily. But don't let that discourage you from offering others the gospel. Uh, this past, uh, the last time we were at World Missionary Press, the individual who was in charge of the press uh, shared how that there are several underground churches in China. And I'm, if, I'm, if I have the figures right, he said they would, they would be like to have two million booklets a month. Several churches. That so great is the hunger for the word of God in China. Now there's a fourth reason. It's in verse 21. And that's the gospel continues to be offered. But to Israel he saith, All the day long I have stretched forth my hands into a disobedient and a gainsaying people. I want you to see how God says it in Isaiah 65. And this is the, the, a little bit different translation. But I just want you, to, want you to see it, how God says it about Israel. I was ready to respond to those who didn't ask. I was ready to be found by those who didn't look for me. I said, I'm here, I'm here to a nation that didn't call on my name. I extended my hands all day long to a rebellious people walking in a way that isn't good, following their own plans. People who provoked me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit in the tombs and spend the night amongst the rocks. They were literally looking for messages from the dead. That's how far off they were who eat swine's flesh with broth and unclean meat in their bowls, and who say, keep to yourself, keep away from me, I'm too holy for you. Can you imagine people saying that to God? That is how far Israel, I mean, God longingly said, I'm, I'm here, I'm here for you. They said, we're, we're not interested, not interested. You know, when you read passages like this, you have to honestly be honest about it and remind yourself how easily that could have been any of us. Aren't you glad someone stayed at the task? God, your parents, your friends, they never gave up. They kept bringing the message to you. Stubborn, lost, and unbelieving is a familiar road many of us have traveled on. So it ought to help you to understand a little bit about Israel. Look at verse 30 of chapter 9. And Paul begins to do a contrast. He says in verse 30, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Here is the Gentile. He's lost, you and me, lost, blinded, dangling helplessly in eternity. He's offered Christ. And he says, yes, yes. 
But on the other hand, there is the Jew in verse 31 who tell you how many generations he's away from Abraham. They could tell you the names of the prominent rabbis in their family. And the 620 rules of the Mishnah. You could almost see them thump their chest as you read verses 31 and 32. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You see, God's law was never intended to replace faith and grace. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, moreover, the law entered. If you do some homework, you'll find that when he uses that word entered, it means it came alongside. So that man could clean himself up? No, it doesn't, isn't what it says. The law entered that the offense might abound. You see, the intent of the law was to drive man to his knees in utter dependence upon God and turn to grace. But the Jew saw the law as a ladder to heaven, each law being a rung in the ladder. The more laws he kept, the higher he climbed. But Christ was the rock on which they stumbled on. You can see the stubbornness, the ignorance, and the foolishness of the law. And you see, there's a, there's a tendency as we rub shoulders with the lost to just kind of become calloused to those people. This past week, um, one of the newer guys on our group uh, came to me. He's a big guy. Came to me and he had a question. He said, I, I have a 13-year-old daughter. He said, uh, she's going to be turning 13. And she said, I, what should I get her for her birthday? He said, we, we don't have a good relationship. And he said, uh, what would you get her? And uh, I said, well, I, I'm going to need a little time to think on that one. And uh, after a while, I came back to him and said, you know what I do? He said, have her dress up real nice some evening, and you, you take her to the finest restaurant you, you know. Just you and her, you sit her down, and, and you tell her that you're proud that she's your daughter. And uh, you tell her, regardless what she does, you'll always be there for her. And this big guy... can't do that. I, I wouldn't know how to do that. He said, my, my, my dad, he said, he, he's never done anything like that for me. In fact, he was mean to me. 
and ask him, well, why not be better than your dad? That was a good answer, but it wasn't the best. What I liked it told him, the best you could give your daughter is Christ. But dad couldn't give what he didn't have. You see, we, we rub shoulders all day long with those that are lost. People hurtling towards an eternity in hell. And Paul says in, in, in verse 1, he says in verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You know, as I read those words, I see passion. I see tears. I see Paul kneeling, pleading. As he checks off one name after another as he prays. see, depth in scripture can never be a substitute for a passion for the lost. The right theology is never to be a substitute for prayer. When's the last time you prayed for somebody lost? When's the last time you wept, pleaded for somebody lost? And when's the last time you shared Christ with somebody lost? Verse 2. The hardest person to win to Christ is the religious. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You see, within that lost religion, is an ignorance. An ignorance of God's righteousness. And because of that ignorance, they think themselves to be good. And with enough of their own goodness and enough of their own hard work, the goal of heaven can be attained. You see, what is not understood is God's righteousness. That God cannot accept their righteousness because it is less than his own. And for God to accept any person's righteousness would make him unrighteous. You see, 
That would be a violation of the character of God. The only way God can accept you is when he imputes to you his own righteousness and it comes to you by faith. It's an imputed righteousness. By faith, we are given Christ's own righteousness. You see, to come to that point, you have to, you have to abandon some things. Your pride, your ego. You have to abandon the thought you could ever earn heaven. That's hard for some people to do, especially religious people. In fact, there's only one group of people who qualify for heaven. And we see it in Romans 4, 5. It is the ungodly. Notice what it says. But to him who worketh not... But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, that's the one group, an ungodly person who blazes his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses described the righteousness which is of faith, of the, which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Christ is the end of the law. And then there is that Greek preposition, ice, meaning into. Christ is the finish line of God's law taking us into Righteousness. Are you with me? Many of you can identify with me uh, that moment that God finally got through to me. And um, I realized that salvation was truly a gift that I couldn't ever earn. That there was nothing I could do that would be, ever be good enough for heaven. And, uh, you know, there's a, a thousand different emotions that I felt in that moment. There was peace. There was humility. There was gratitude. There was sadness that it took so long. There was joy. There was freedom, felt like somebody had just given me a set of wings. So I love this verse. But don't read more into it than what it says. It does not say Christ is the end of God's desire for righteousness in our life. In fact, in John 6, he tells us we'll do greater things than him. 
Nor does it say Christ is the end of God's desire for obedience in our lives. It doesn't say that. The reality is we should never, ever discourage good works. Is it free? Is it a gift? You bet it is. But we all need the encouragement to be faithful. We all need to be encouraged to continue doing what is right and what is good. Now, in verses 6 through 10, we have, have several truths in which God is going to show that people are responsible. People are responsible because the gospel is available. Notice what he says. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. You see, there's no need for another incarnation and a resurrection. Why? Because it's already been accomplished. That word is with you. God's message from heaven, the message that is birthed from eternity past and has been preserved for thousands of generations today is being declared unto you. Do you realize the privilege you have? It's the message we preach. It's the good news. What is that message? Well, it tells us in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's the gospel. If someone ever asks you what is the gospel, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 3, and 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand. For I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That, my friends, is the gospel. So it takes faith, and an act of the will. In other words, you have to believe the gospel and you have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. Notice verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto, unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That little word unto, again, is the Greek preposition ice. And the, one of the reasons God used the Greek language, Greek Aramaic, is because there's, there isn't a more picturesque language. It kind of draws you pictures. You see, with the heart man believes, faith takes you into the righteousness of God. 
and confession takes you into salvation. You cannot get a picture of salvation being the rescue of God. So there's the two elements. There's, there's faith and then there's the act of your will. Those are the two necessary elements for one to be saved. You'll see the same uh, in uh, John, John 1, 12. For as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. Again, receiving Jesus Christ and believing on his name. Two elements. Now we see the second truth, uh, the reason for our personal responsibility, that, re that every person is responsible because God's offer is to all. No notice verse uh, uh, 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice the words, whosoever. It's refreshing to see that woman, that professor, was very, very wrong. God is not racist. The call is to all. Now in verse 14, there's a turn. There's a turn from the response of the message to its delivery. A turn from the recipient to the deliverer. So you see, not only are the lost responsible, but so are the saved. Verse 14. How shall they that call up on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How can they call on whom they have not believed? They can't. And how can they believe in him who they have not heard? Again, they can't. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And it's not necessarily a pastor. It's actually talking about a communicator. All of you could qualify in, in, in uh, sharing the word of uh, communicating uh, the gospel. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of priests and bring, good bring tidings of good things. Before I was married, I, I lived in ignorant bliss. I thought I had nice feet. But it was some time uh, after I was married that my wife informed me my, my feet are ugly. And uh, I have to admit that when I did some comparison, mine had a little bit to be desired. But uh, how great it is that God gets the last word on this one. <laughs> Salvation truly is of the Lord. <laughs> so the reality is that it includes all of you who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got some beautiful feet. I had to think of those of you who took time and traveled to Indy to share the gospel. I had to think of those of you who take time and you share the word of God at Faith Mission. Beautiful feet. I had to think of the youth who, who spent some time abroad sharing the gospel. Those are beautiful feet. 
This past weekend, as, uh, as my wife and I enjoyed some time together, uh, we attended the Lake Wallace boat-in service, and uh, there was boats everywhere, and it was uh, perfect weather. And there was a pastor that was preaching on happiness. And he went through a, a lengthy list of, of things that influence our happiness. And as he came to the end of the list, he said, you can have all of these and still be empty inside. That void. Try it as we might. We can try to fill it with some of these things. But it, but it never works. Because things cannot fill this void. It's meant to be filled by a person. That person is Christ. Stop and think about the truth that you have got to hear just in this last 15, 20 minutes, half an hour. You realize that is more true than many here in a year, five years. Lost people don't hear some of the things you're hearing. That's why it's important you share the truth. You become the Bible that is read to the ones you rub shoulders with. That's why God says your feet are beautiful. There's a third truth in uh, verse 16. People are responsible because they reject the gospel. The reality is that the majority will reject the gospel. And it's a tendency of ours when uh, we experience rejection, when people tell us, no, thank you. We have a tendency wanting to change the message. I had a friend uh, uh, recently told me of a very well-known pastor who's trying to reach out to the Muslims. But in doing so, he has stopped using the name of Christ. If that is true, he has no message. We dare not change the message. A church can do a lot of wonderful, wonderful things. And, uh, but the bottom line is, the way people are saved and the way people are built up is with the word of God. Face to face. Look at verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's, that's not my opinion. That's God's opinion. But I say, have they not, have they not heard? Yes, verily, the, their sound went unto all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the earth. But I say, did not Israel know? First Mo Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. Verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. And I was made manifest unto, unto them that asked not after me. They had no reason. They were responsible because they rejected the gospel. 
In Matthew 23, there's a fourth reason. People are responsible because God is faithful. Notice what he says in verse 21. But to Israel he saith, all the day long I have stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Jesus in Matthew 23, he looks over Jerusalem and notice what he says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. And how often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Notice the faithfulness of God. How often I long to gather you together. You wouldn't have it. People are responsible because God is faithful. Now, there are several points I want to close with. First of all, the children of God are responsible. We are responsible to pray. Paul begins the chapter with prayer. Secondly, we are responsible to share Christ. And with that, I might add tactfully, and respectfully. Thirdly, we are responsible to continue sharing, even times that the answer is no. By the way, aren't you uh, glad somebody didn't give up on you when you said no? The lost are equally responsible. They are responsible to do something with the message they hear. They are equally responsible. No one is going to have an excuse. Let's bow.